Welcome to the OKC First Church of the Nazarene podcast. At OKC First, we are learning to do three things. Friendship with God, friendship with one another, and open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Wow. I don't blame people for staying away from church today, huh? Yeah, very hard words. Very hard words that we have to to deal with in honest, but I think creative ways, or or else we we have the capacity to suck the truth out of these and to leave behind something that's not true. And I think that we have done that, actually, to these words, maybe more than once. I think we do that to Scripture. I think we have the capacity to, again, we've said this before, but I think we have this awful capacity as human beings to remake God and by extension, to remake Scripture in our own image so that it's palatable, so that it's swallowable. But here's the thing. When we remake God and remake Scripture in particular into our own image, it no longer functions as Scripture in our lives, and it's not true. It's not true. The Scripture itself that we have remade into our own image so that it fits, so that it fits me, fits us, fits our culture, fits our context, what we're then calling Scripture is no longer true. It's not true. These words are true. They're difficult, but they're true. And they're crazy. Okay, let's get that out of the way. They're they're also crazy. So they are true, but they are also crazy. Because you have this Jesus character who all the time, I feel like Jesus, if there's one word that is always on the lips of Jesus, it seems to be this word love, and then all of a sudden, You have these words, and then the very people that Jesus says, hey, you should love everybody, including, including mom and dad and wife and children and husband and all of this, then Jesus says, now, by the way, you're going to need to hate those people. So it's it's crazy making, and maybe this will help us to make sense. I don't know if you remember this, because lots has happened, lots has happened, uh, since June, but in June, we got an update from the mission to Mars. It's called Mars One. And Mars One has asked how many people would be willing to go and colonize Mars. Colonize Mars. And 200,000 people paid a significant entry fee, non refundable. <laughs> 200,000 people applied. And the powers that be whittled that number all the way down to a 1,000, recognizing that they would have to whittle it even farther, and they have by now whittled that 1,000 down to 100, and the thinking is, okay, by the time we get ready to go to Mars in 2024, it's not that far in the future, by the time we get there, it'll be 24. Now, we may have some alternates, so this 100, they have really accomplished something to get all the way to the 100, but in 2024, we're only taking 24. And so they are now in the process of whittling down that 100 to 24. And, and, and this is the deal. Everyone's being told, this is a one-way ticket. If you make it to the final 24, you are going to Mars to die. They're not bringing you back. It's a one-way ticket. And 200,000 people said, yeah, sign me up. And amongst them, mothers, 
with children at home. You talk about crazy. Mothers and fathers with children at home. Spouses signed up with the blessing of their spouses. In fact, in this hundred that are left, there are still moms. Sonia Van Meter, if she's selected to go in 2024, as a relatively young woman, will leave behind two children and a husband, all of whom have given, given her their blessing to die on Mars and not come back. Two hundred thousand people signed up. Have you seen this yet? If you haven't, you need to kind of pay attention. If you haven't seen it, this is this is kind of the what we're talking about here. Mars not just to be a part of history, but to inspire people around the world. The colonization of Mars is the adventure of the century. This is our chance to get the world excited about space again. If we can look up from Earth and know that human beings are living on another planet, will we ever again be able to tell ourselves that there's anything we can't do? I want to contribute directly to mankind's confident expansion into the solar system, which we have to do if we're going to survive in the long term. I believe it is in our nature and it is our destiny. I want, after I die, the impact of my life is imparted upon those who follow. I know it comes at the cost of giving up forever, but future belongs to those who believe in the beauty of their dreams. Now does Jesus seem so crazy? See, the, the issue here seems to be that we have reduced the scope of Christianity and discipleship. We've made Christianity something smaller than that because 
though maybe there's nobody in the room, maybe there are one or two or three in the room who would say, ah, I would do that. Maybe there are people in the room who would do that. Most of us would not. But even those of us who would not do that can kind of see it. I mean, that is history in the making. It's, it's, this, it's incredible and beautiful convergence of science fiction, now nonfiction, and history. And you can kind of wrap your brain around something that big being worth leaving everything else behind. And the problem is that Christianity for us is not that big. It's not that big. We've reduced its scope. Jesus didn't. We did. We did. We've reduced its scope. So that when we read words like this, we're kind of offended. And we do that thing where you you go back and you say, okay, wait, okay, this is better, this is better. Buddy, Jesus is better when my faith, when my faith can be something a little less dangerous, when I can understand this Jesus as being primarily concerned with me and my innards, right, and, and how I feel about everything, if I can understand Jesus to be my, my buddy, if I can understand Jesus to be that one who is always ready to rub my shoulders and just help me feel better about everything, if I can make it that small, then Jesus' words make no sense whatsoever. In order to hear, in order to hear the words of Jesus and grant them proper weight, you have to be thinking about Mars. <laughs> because Jesus has in mind that you and I would be a part of the process whereby God would, in fact, create something different, something new, renew creation, just not on Mars, here, here, but just as big a task. Jesus has in mind the reorganization of reality as we know it. And that's what he's saying as he talks about discipleship, as he's moving toward. In fact, you should know this. This is not a great picture of who we believe Jesus to be. This emerging picture is a much better, much more reliable picture and a better way to hear the challenging words of Jesus. Recognize here that Jesus is on the road to that cross. What Jesus says, the stakes could not be any higher. Jesus is heading to Jerusalem. Scripture tells us that he has set his face to go to Jerusalem and wage peace. And wage peace. Because that's Jesus fighting style. And all God's people said. And it is to be our fighting style. If we're going to take seriously the theology, the language of the Apostle Paul, who so clearly understands us to be the body of Christ, then Christ's undertaking, see the cross in the distance, is our undertaking. And it is such a huge undertaking that it is tantamount to going to Mars to remake a society and a culture. The only difference is we don't go to Mars. We go to Bethany and Mustang and Edmond and Oklahoma City and where you work, where you live. But it's no different. We're trying to be the means whereby God would, by God's spirit, use a people to change it all toward Christ-like. It's that big, and it's the reason that Jesus can, with a straight face, 
say to folks, much like we say to people willing to go to Mars, hey, are you willing to subordinate everything else to this calling and this mission? Whoever comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even life itself cannot be, cannot be my disciple. Now, a disciple, follower, person who understands her role in life, his role in life to be, to follow this Jesus around and to accomplish with my life what Jesus I see, what, what, what I see Jesus accomplishing with his life. Now, Matthew says this in a way that's much easier for us to swallow. It goes something like this. Uh, Anyone who loves his father and mother more than me is not worthy of me. That's what it says in Matthew. This is so stark, though, so as to get your attention. (laughs) Get my attention. Because let me tell you something. You all are good family people. I've seen it with my own eyes. We work at being good family people too. Here's what I believe. Your commitment to this Jesus character and to the cause of Christ should in fact weigh more than your commitment to your family. Yeah, I know, it's, I know it's really quiet. And I didn't, I didn't even ask you to say amen there. Didn't expect one there. But I do want you to recognize that maybe, maybe part of the reason Christianity in a place so churched as Oklahoma and Oklahoma City, maybe the reason we're not making a bigger dent is because we don't actually believe that. We're very busy caring for our family, and I'll get to the Christian thing. But I've got to care for my family. But I'll get to you, Jesus. And, and here's the other thing. My sense is, your family would be better off if you loved Jesus more than them. Amen. In other words, if you were to allow this Jesus to tell you what love really looks like, and by the way, when Jesus tells you what love really looks like and you drink deeply from that well, it has something to do with selflessness and sacrificial love and putting the other ahead of you. I'm telling you, your spouse, your kids, your parents, your brother and sister, they'd all be better off if you let Jesus tell you what love was instead of you always telling Jesus what family love is supposed to look like. So hate is used to get your attention, but I don't want us to say that and then have you hear me subtract meaning or volume from this statement because truth of the matter, Jesus is saying, we've got to recolonize this earth and in order to do so, I've got to have people who are not going to be encumbered by the kinds of commitments that would keep them from doing the kinds of things that I want to to be done, says Jesus, like death. Because even your life, if you cling to that more than you cling to this calling, and hear this, the, the language here isn't saying you're not going to be allowed to be Christ's disciple. This is not saying if you don't hate your father and mother and your family, and if you don't hate your life more, I'm not going to let you be my disciple. The language here is something like this. If you don't love this calling more, if you don't love this calling more than you love your life yourself, you won't end up being a disciple. It's not a decree, it's an observation. You won't end up being a disciple. 
if you don't have your loves in order. That's probably true, isn't it? Good folks in the room. Most of whom do not have a drug addiction. Most of you don't. Some of you in the room will. Most of you don't have a drug addiction. Most of you are in this place where the biggest challenge to your faith and your fidelity is not cocaine. That's not going to be the biggest challenge. It will be your family. It'll be your career decisions. Yeah, yeah. I believe that we are called to be unique on this planet. (laughs) And in our little colony, and in our little colony, we are those odd people who allow Jesus to tell us what matters most. Aren't we? Aren't we? Whoever does not carry the cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. And hear this too, this cross, uh, a means of capital punishment, but I think more than it was a means of capital punishment, it was a way for Rome, hear this, it was a way for Rome to enact its power, its terrorizing power. Rome would say, we are so firmly in charge that we can use this cross and we can wipe whole families out or we can take individual people out just to make sure that you know who's in charge and who isn't in charge. And Jesus, recognizing that there is a a terror aspect to the use of the cross when when it's used by the Roman Empire like this, Jesus says, yeah, here's the thing. We're going to lean into that. We're going to tell them, you cannot terrorize us in those ways because rather than run from it or defend it, we're going to embrace it and we're in embracing it, we're going to show you a power greater than the one that you're trying to wield with that ugly cross. Do we believe that, however? We've said this before, that Scripture, when properly and faithfully read, Scripture will show you that there are some ongoing conversations and even arguments. There are voices colliding in Scripture, and so it should be no surprise to you that Jesus enters the picture arguing against certain aspects of faith, arguing for certain things and against other things. Jesus enters into this very political situation. You have this Roman occupying force, and there was this whole group of people, largely known as the Zealots, but it wasn't just the Zealots, who would say something like this. We have got to fight and overthrow these people. And Jesus is saying, hey, whoa, hang on a second. That's not what it means to follow God. Oh, John, it's election season, and you're venturing into dangerous territory. Tell me about it. I'm the one up here. but I'm just trying to follow Jesus. So Jesus enters into this conversation, right? Jesus seems to have been the person along the way who was saying things like this. No, don't build a counter army. That's dumb, Jesus was saying. Don't build a counter army. Do you recognize how stupid that is? Jesus is also saying, do you also recognize that this is not the way you will follow God? If that's your plan, it's a bad one. 
and disciples. You know disciples because they typically are pretty good at planning to go the distance. Look at this first example. Okay, so which of you intending to build a tower? Now he's, telling, he's talking to a crowd and hoping to find some in this crowd who would be willing to be disciples. So he says this, if you're willing to build a tower, if you want to build a tower, hopefully you have counted your resources and counted the cost because you know what's bad? is when people try to build a tower, you get about, oh, two-thirds or halfway done, and then they don't have the resources to finish, and everybody goes, somebody didn't plan ahead. Jesus seems to be saying you need to make a sober assessment of what it means to be a disciple and then choose wisely so that you finish the process. And this is where it gets really personal with them. Okay, or what king (laughs) going out to wage war against another king doesn't do the math to see that his 10,000 is not going to match up very well against the other 20,000. No, listen, he says. Maybe we should make peace. Maybe we should wage peace. Maybe we should wage peace, and in so doing, not only will we keep lots more people alive, but we will be faithful followers. But then we will be faithful followers, disciples. If that wasn't bad enough, and it is. So therefore, none of you can become my disciple if you do not give up all your possessions. What? (laughs) I got it, John. Okay, here's the deal. I'm supposed to tell my family I'm moving out. Um, I'm supposed to stop caring for my own life. And I'm supposed to get rid of all my stuff and then I can follow Jesus. Yep, okay, stand with me so that we can, no. But all this is said, listen, I said it last week, so hear me say it again. I I want you to do well. I want you to do well where your businesses are concerned. I want you to do well, and I want you to, in gratitude, give back to God. I I really do. I want you to. But you cannot allow your possessions and your appetite for your possessions, you cannot allow your career path to shape your Christianity. That's a different religion. That's a different theology. It's not Christianity. Jesus seems to be saying, if your career ambitions are dictating the terms of your Christianity, you will not end up being my disciple. And that's true. Are you insinuating I should not take this promotion? Well, it depends. Can you be a disciple with this promotion? Yes. Then yes. But we are just odd enough, and we need to help one another with this. We are just odd enough 
that if after making sober assessment we recognize that I can't and my family can't be the kinds of disciples, we just won't end up being the kinds of disciples that we could be otherwise, if I take the promotion, then we are the unique folks in the culture who will say no to the golden staircase. Because we will have subordinated everything to this calling to be the means whereby God would recolonize the earth. And this call to recolonize the earth will be the dominant issue the dominant filter. Christ himself will be the means whereby we measure, we measure our decisions and subordinate all things to the lordship of Christ. We will do so as we watch and try as best we can to follow this Jesus and embody these same values and ethics. Whew. Or else, we are being so contrary to our nature as it is designed by God that we are a whole lot like salt that's lost its saltiness and is no longer good for anything. If we aren't the discipleship first people, who else is going to be? If we aren't the follow Jesus and follow that voice and follow these footsteps and follow this trail all the way wherever it leads, if we aren't these people, then what is the presence of God in the world? Oh, it's the Spirit. Yeah, but the Spirit really needs skin on it sometimes. It's the Spirit that fills our lungs and the hopes, our lungs and the hopes that God can have a people to call his very own, people who do, in fact, put skin and flesh on the high call of God. And I heard a sermon this week. Somebody was preaching the sermon a few years ago and actually said this to his church in North Carolina, if you can't do this, then would you please renounce your baptism? I thought that was harsh. But I get his point. I get his point. When we baptize the little ones to the big ones and the old ones, when we baptize, it is not just a cleansing ritual. It is an initiation. And we say to the about to be baptized, are you willing to subordinate every other claim on your life, on your love, on your time, on your resources? Are you willing to subordinate everything to the call of Christ on your life for you to be part of the body, the means whereby, the means whereby we recolonize the earth? Most of the time they say yes. And maybe it's the pressure of the moment. Maybe it's all of you out here, but most of the time folks say yes over there. Most of the time folks say yes. And, 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 and again, you've heard me say this too. 
Folks say yes, and I think we exist to help everybody live up to their yes. No one's expected to be perfect in their yes over here, okay? Much like we don't expect a married couple just because I marry them, I don't expect them to be the perfect married couple, right? We help one another to live into and up to our commitments, but we help one another live into and up to the commitment to belong first and foremost to Jesus before you belong to your job, before you belong to your husband or your wife or your kids or your parents, before you belong to your stuff, and sometimes people belong to the stuff, amen? So before you belong to any of that stuff, we baptize in the hopes of telling people and showing people you belong first and foremost to this God who calls you to be the tangible, touchable presence of God in the world in the hopes that earth can be recolonized. And if we're not those people, we're like salt that doesn't work. You know what you call salt? It's lots of saltiness. Dust. A mess. So I do think it's harsh. And so let me tune what that pastor said a little bit. I don't want to say, if you can't stand here today and perfectly embody that commitment that you made here in the pool, I want you to renounce your baptism. I'm not even sure what that ritual would look like, right? I don't want you to do that. What I do want you to do is remember your baptism. What I do want you to do is find your way into conversation with other folks who are similarly struggling along with you to try to figure out what it looks like to live in 2016 in highly churched Oklahoma and in highly churched Oklahoma City. I want you to be in conversation and in a relationship with other people who are trying to figure out what that must look like to elevate this Jesus to this place of ultimate lordship in your life so that everything else, including really good things like familial relationships, are all enjoyed, but in subordination to the call of Christ. I don't want you to renounce your baptism. I want you to actually live into it and up to it. I don't want to renounce my baptism. I am very interested, however, in living up to it and into it. Decision 2016. Oh, I cannot. Anybody else ready for all the ads to go away and all of the, yeah, me too. Not quite there yet. But I would submit to you that the more important decision that you'll make in 2016. Ready? We don't talk about decisions a whole lot around here, but we're going to right now. You ready? Hang on. The more important decision, the more important decision that you'll make, more important than the one that you'll make on the second Tuesday in November, the more important decision is whether or not to be amongst the baptized. Amen. The more important decision is the one that you make, perhaps today, that will demonstrate that you've put your career path in a place of subordination where the call of Christ is concerned. That you have placed, much like Abraham and Isaac, this craziness, that you have placed your precious family and loved ones just beneath your connection to Jesus and the call of Christ. 
By the way, they're better off. My hope is that we will be the kinds of people who can today give. Because we're not, all, not any longer held captive by our things, by our stuff. The more important decision that you make today will have something to do with an altar. That doesn't mean everybody has to come down here. I would love for you to come down here and someone will pray with you if you decide that you need to make that decision here. It's a great place to do it. But here's the thing about altars. The altar, hear this, the altar always includes this. This is part of the altar here. This being part of the altar means that God was here first. You're not coming to the altar trying to conjure the presence of God. You are coming in response to the always around presence of God. The always calling you. The always seeking your hand. The always seeking your pledge of allegiance. You're always going to come in response to the one who was always here first. Always got here before you did. There's a reason we take and then we pray. Because having thought through it, we didn't do it for years and years, right? But having thought through it, this is the better way to come to the altar in response to who God is and what God has done. And your decision to be this kind of radicalized disciple is not done on your own strength either. You're responding to the God who has reached towards you in these same sorts of ways. Jesus self-emptied in order to be a part of the movement whereby earth could be recolonized. And since Jesus did, you can. If you're coming to help us, would you come now and help set the table and arrange the altar? Heavenly Father, bless these elements. And with them, Lord, remind us of some very important lessons. Chief among them being that faith starts not with our choice for you, but faith starts with your choice for each of us and all of us. We rehearse that very important truth every week as we receive these gifts of broken body and shed blood, symbols of the selflessness, the sacrificial nature of your love for us. Perhaps, Lord, in the process of trying to figure out how it is to be this kind of disciple, perhaps what we need to do is to reacquaint ourselves with the love with which we have been loved, the choice that you've made for each of us and all of us while we were still sinners, you chose us and moved toward us and reached for us. Maybe, God, if we can get better acquainted with that movement toward us, maybe it'll be easier to respond in gratitude and grateful obedience. In a moment, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, exit your pew to the left, and to come forward your hands cupped to receive this very dangerous gift of grace.
but it's going to measure your commitments. <laughs> I mean, think of it. You're being handed broken body, shed blood, the ultimate prices paid to demonstrate for you the nature and the character of God. How will you respond? The hope is that you will respond to love with love. That even where your career, even where your family is concerned, even where all of your possessions are concerned, that you will subordinate all of that to this love and grace and respond with your life or at least practice that direction, which is what we do every week. And so if you'll come with your hands cupped, ready to receive, as you walk toward the person with the bread, that person will snap off a piece, place it into your hands and say, this is the body of Christ, broken for you. There it is, the tangible expression, the heart of God. Don't eat it just yet. Dip it into the cup. Someone standing right there will be holding a cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ, again, shed for you. There you have it again, another expression. The selflessness and the sacrificial love of God. And then take and eat the gifts of God for the people of God. And then find a place to pray because we all need to make decision. Maybe it's another decision. We all need to make that decision to subordinate everything else, everyone else, to the call of Christ. And I hope that you won't renounce your baptism, but I do want to invite you to remember it even if you haven't been very good at it recently, maybe a fresh remembrance will help you. There's a bowl of water up here and a towel right here. It's very simple. You just come up here and you dip just enough of your finger in there to remember that day. I remember the day. I especially remember when my, my fingers hit the water. It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, blessed it, and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. Every time you eat of it, remember me, remember me. Later on, he would take the cup and hold it up before them and say, and this is my blood shed for you, and every time you drink of it, remember, remember, remember me. If you can't come to us, Jason and Katie will come to you. And all of you are welcome. All of you who recognize your need for this kind of grace, grace that helps and grows and enables us to live it up to and into our commitments. All of you who are aware of your need for grace, no matter what you dragged in here with you, you are all welcome at this table and you will be every week. And so now across the sanctuary, I want to invite you to stand, exit your pew to the left, come forward with your hands cupped to receive the gifts of God for the people of God.
take up my prayers for healing didn't mention that earlier any kind of prayer for healing it's physical healing or it's mental or emotional healing it's relational healing any kind of prayer for healing will be welcomed there and all across the sanctuary now I hope that you are making that decision or at least today's worth of that decision. Father, we confess that we have this awful human tendency to remake you in our image, to make you into the kind of Savior we want for you to be, the one that's best for us, 
least painful for us. We confess that, Lord. We confess that we aren't more often shaped in your image. Confess also, Lord, that there are many of us in the room who would testify that it's the good things in life that are the greatest challenges to your lordship in our lives, not the bad or the worst things, it's the good things. But we also confess, Lord, that it's the good things that will, if we're not careful, become idols. Good ones. But idols nonetheless, idols that will shape the shape of our faith, of our discipleship, of our faithfulness, our fidelity. These are hard words that we have heard from Christ today, Lord. Father, these are hard words and, and words that we don't feel like will very easily fit into Monday. So help us. Give us some imagination, Lord, just enough to know how it is these words can take up residence in our lives, can bring life and health and hope, and not just to us, but to a world around us that so desperately needs to be recolonized. <laughs> Restore to us, Lord, that sense adventure that we hear in the voices of those willing to go to another planet to find it. Restore to us, Lord, the size, the scope of the mission to which you've called all of us. we continue in a season of prayer, would you turn your attention to some intercessory prayer needs, many of those of which you brought yourself into this place, into this sanctuary. So if you even now are thinking about somebody, a relationship, someone who needs healing, begin to pray for them in these moments. And as you pray for those in your life who you are concerned about, I want to give some a list of names that if you would love to pray along with me and with us, pray with them together across the congregation. So as you pray for yours, would you please also whisper a prayer for Loretta Wheeler. For Bob Corey. For James Shea. And Carolyn Shea. Would you pray for Lynn Caprero. Pray for June Adams. Would you pray for a young person that you know, someone who may be transitioning with school? Would you pray for an older person that you know, perhaps someone you know that's homebound? 
Pray for someone who you know or a family you know that's impacted by someone who's incarcerated right now. Do you pray for someone you know who's impacted by grief and by loss? Like our friend Yolanda. Pray for your person who's sitting or standing on your right. And then take time to pray for the person who's at your left. we ask that you give us the courage to believe and to live into this prayer, the prayer that you've taught your disciples to pray in church together. We'll pray using debts and debtors. So let's pray together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.